to me, you look at like Darwinian evolution, if we have a capacity, it's there because it serves a purpose. And so if we dream at night and we sleep, we don't have that for no reason. We have that because adaptively it has a use. You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Today, we're talking to Ben Mackinnon, an expert on a topic we are incredibly interested in, our dreams, and particularly the practice of lucid dreaming. Ben spent years as a registered nurse specializing in mental health issues like anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Alongside his work in healthcare, he's devoted himself to studying and teaching yogic practice rooted in Tibetan Buddhism. He's developed a method for leveraging and working with our dream states to improve our waking lives. Ben's work brings together both the science and psychology of our dream states, along with consideration to the more ancient reverence for the meaning of dreams. Ben helps people all over the world use lucid dreaming for stress reduction, improved mental health, and self-exploration. All right, before we get into the chat with Ben, let's talk about our dreams. Yeah, so we're not talking about our hopes and dreams in this episode, although it is kind of related once you hear Ben talking about how we can leverage our dream states, but we're talking about like the actual dreams that we have when we're asleep. I've always been really fascinated with dreams. I think I've been fascinated with dreams ever since several years back, actually, I was going to my therapist. And I kind of got to a point where I felt like I didn't have much to talk to her about every week. And she said, well, let's start talking about your dreams. I want you to write down your dreams and, and tell me what you're dreaming about. And so every week we would sort of like go through this decoding and kind of analysis of like what these dreams were telling us about like what was in my subconscious. And so I became really fascinated with that. And then I actually began taking up a practice of dream journaling every morning, not just for the study of kind of what dreams mean in that way, but also because it's a recommended practice for strengthening intuition. So yeah, I've been dream journaling for a while. I feel like I kind of have like pretty normal dreams right now that are kind of a reflection of what might be going on in, in my life at a given time. But I did go through a period of time where I was having these really crazy kind of being chased to dreams. Like I was having dreams where I was being chased and felt like someone was trying to kill me, which sounds kind of crazy, but it was a reoccurring dream that I was having. And I 
recognized that once I started like journaling about that dream and writing it down every morning, they stopped happening. And it aligns a lot to what Ben said in the interview where he says, you know, once we start kind of writing down our dreams and becoming aware of them, some of those types of dreams that are less pleasant lose their power over us because we have this awareness that it's just a dream and it's just a reflection of of something. And was there something going on in your life at that time when you were having those dreams of being chased? I think I just had a lot of fears. I have had like a lot of irrational fears through my life that I've kind of like gotten over. But like I feel like I used to kind of have some like hypochondriac tendencies. And, you know, I used to be really, really afraid of flying. And I think it was just a lot of like kind of fear-based stuff coming through. Yeah, I remember that when you used to be so scared of flying and now you fly all the time. I know. Well, I was flying all the time even when I was scared, but yeah, you I kind of just got over it. <laughs> what about you? You have really interesting dreams. Yes, my dreams are extremely vivid and I also have premonition dreams about certain people that I'm really connected with. Those are very alarming at the time. Because I wake up and I don't want whatever I dreamt about to be true. So is the the premonition normally something that's not positive? <laughs> it's like normally something bad? Yeah, because when I do have a premonition dream and I wake up and it's really vivid the next day, it's usually something bad. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be thinking about it. I'd just be like, oh, great. Everything's wonderful. So it's usually something bad. An example of that is I had a dream about... A friend in my dream, there was a strong sense that something was wrong with her and her partner. And the dream was pretty detailed at the time. And I can't remember all the details, but it was just this sense that there was a disconnection and something bad was happening in in the relationship, not anything crazy or serious. It was just something was off. And then the next day, she texts me and wanted to talk and was really upset because something happened. And I didn't tell her about the dream at the time because it just was it wouldn't have been appropriate. Like, oh, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> exactly. I knew already. But it was just very alarming. So I've become very interested in that and why that happens. And I know that Ben has talked about this a little bit. And that, that's not the only time or the only person that it's happened with. It's happened with just really anyone that I'm super connected with on an energetic level. Yeah. It's interesting because in the conversation, we talk about the idea of premonition dreams coming potentially from two different places. I think that a lot of times people think about premonition dreams as some sort of psychic or future telling ability coming through. But Ben actually says that it might be quite the opposite. And it might be that, and this is kind of aligned to what what you're talking about, that when we have a premonition dream, it means that we're so tuned in to what's happening in the present that we're able to kind of like connect dots and connect to what a manifestation of what's happening right now might look like. So it's it's really interesting because I think that there are some others in this space and some others that, you know, we kind of follow the teachings and practices of that talk about the idea of, you know, the future is not some sort of surprise occurrence or some surprise thing that we have no idea, you know, what it will be or what it will look like. The future is very simply a manifestation of 
where you are right now and what path you're putting yourself on right now. So whatever you're doing right now and whatever you're focusing on right now, like that's going to be your future. So I think that it's interesting in the context of premonition dreams. Yeah. And it's also the other part to that too, is that we're all connected. Even we could be so far away from each other. But like another example of that is you might be thinking about somebody in someone in your dream. And I don't keep my phone in my bedroom. So I have this vivid dream about someone and it's not about anything. It's just they're in my dream and it's very vivid. And then I wake up and I go look at my phone and I have a text from them. So it's even things like that because I we're so connected energetically that we can almost feel that person's energy. Yeah. It's like that whole thing where it's like someone's standing behind you and you just know who's there even though you can't see them and you have no other indication that they're there. Yeah. And Vipka the energy healer that we had on the podcast recently talks about this a lot. When I did her Reiki training, she says that you could actually, through quantum energy, you can feel somebody... Because I do a, a yin and Reiki class with her on, on Wednesday nights. And sometimes you can actually... She'll be over by me and actually touching me for the Reiki energy healing. And five minutes later, I think that she's still touching me, but I hear her voice from the other side of the room. Oh, wow. And I actually feel so strongly that she's still touching me to the point where I'm like, I, I get stressed out because I'm supposed to change positions, but I'm like, I can't because she's still touching me. <laughs> and then I hear her voice and I'm just like, oh my God, that is crazy. And she talks about that as this quantum energy, that it's energy is not it's constantly moving and you can still feel it from the other side of the room. It's just, it's fascinating. Well, in the conversation today, we're talking not just about dreaming in general, but specifically about lucid dreaming, which I learned about really for the first time in this conversation. So lucid dreams are dreams when you know that you're dreaming. And Ben has developed a technique for this to help you recognize this in your dreams. And what that does is gives you the ability to use that awareness to do things in your dreams that will help you in your waking life. So it could be overcoming a fear, releasing an emotion that you don't even know that you're holding on to. It could help you recognize patterns in your dreaming state that relate to your waking life. And it's it's just super fascinating. Yeah, I love this conversation with Ben. I think that two really interesting things that he said that stuck with me that he'll, you know, he elaborates on more in this conversation are first this idea of of fear and and how it relates to our dream states. Fear is essentially a psychological neuroses that limits us from what we want to do. So if we can get into that piece of our brain in our dream state, we can reprogram it. And the other piece that really made sense to me, he said If we as humans have the capacity to do something, like dream, it has an evolutionary purpose. We don't have the capacity to do something if it doesn't have that evolutionary purpose. So let's lean into that and use it to make our lives better. So in this episode, we're talking to Ben about why our dreams are so important and what they can tell us about ourselves, how to use our dreams as roadmaps for unlocking subconscious blocks and desires. We talk about the meaning of dreams, from nightmares and fear to premonition or recurring dreams. And the steps to use to enhance and manipulate your dream experience to improve your intuition, your ability to recall your dreams, and understand patterns that you can apply in your waking life. 
All right, let's get into the chat with Ben. Welcome, Ben. Thank you for being on the podcast. We're really excited to dig in with you on all things sleep, dreams, lucid dreams. I'd love to start out by you sharing a bit about your background and how you got into this work around sleep. I mean, as a child, I always had very strong dreams, you know, and I look back now and I can recognize oh, I was probably lucid in a lot of those dreams when I was a child, maybe, you know, five, six, seven, eight, and having some experiences as a child that at the time I didn't know what they were. And, and also people didn't know how to explain them. So someone might, you might have an experience which was a lucid dream and then someone might give you this, the spirits or something, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, there was always people putting kind of like a esoteric twist on it. And then it wasn't till about, I was about 35 and all of a sudden I just started having really strong dreams again like a child. Like I just started having lucid dreams every night. I started having, I guess, what you call out-of-body experiences, which can often get confused for lucid dreams. So I think there are lucid dreams and then there's out-of-body experiences, but then some people have lucid dreams and because of the context of the dream, they believe that they've had an out-of-body experience. That all sort of came back, and that was probably on the back of 10 years of meditation. So I started getting quite deep into meditation when I was probably about 26. I developed chronic fatigue from overtraining, trying to get into the Commonwealth Games for road cycling. Basically sold all my stuff and went on a big year surf trip, really. So I went through... Mexico, Chile, Peru, Hawaii, uh, the Pacific Islands, and pretty much just lived off nothing and surfed for five hours a day, which sounds like a great escape. But at the end of it, it was really interesting. My health was a lot better. And at the end of that trip, I found a book on meditation called Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. And I had never really meditated. I remember as a child, like always being interested in yoga books. Like I still remember being like five or something and looking at yogis doing weird things, you know, so weird symbols and weird breathing. So it was pretty much just the explosion of my own dreams that sort of started it. From my background as a registered nurse in mental health, I see sleep as a very, like, it's a very big thing to talk about like when I deal with patients with PTSD their sleep is you know a lot of nightmares a lot of broken sleep a lot of actually lucid dreams but they're so fear-based that they don't do anything with them mm -hmm. so they don't use it as a leapfrog to kind of bust through the fear so just seeing for myself that sleep was a very valid means of self-inquiry and also potentially working with your subconscious in a way that is maybe not quite as accessible as your waking experience. I guess I just started talking about I remember the first lucid dream workshop I did and I remember sitting there just going like, I don't know what I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm going to sit here and for two hours and I'm going to talk about lucid dreaming. But it was really interesting as I got people talking about their dreams. I remember the first one I ever did how many people really wanted to talk about their dreams. And I thought, this is really interesting. This is something that people want to talk about, but often don't talk about unless it's with their close friends, if they're lucky enough that their friends or family are open to it. But it's a very big subject. What I say to people is, 
it depends where you go. You can go into this very deep spiritual inquiry. You can go into it as a self-development tool. You can go into it and just coming to understand what's going on in the background of your mind when you fall asleep. And it can kind of sometimes make you more aware of anxieties and frustrations that are going on in your life that you're maybe not addressing. And that's why I say when I teach workshops, I kind of don't try to load it in, oh, we're just going to get all spiritual or something. I just sort of say, here's a tool. And then it's up to the person to really decide what that tool was for. Yeah. And can you explain, I know you mentioned lucid dreams and being able to do that as a child and then through your workshops. What is lucid dreams? We often mistake lucid dreams for vivid dreams. So a vivid dream would be like, say, tonight you go to sleep and you have a dream which is like, this is real, you know? So you can feel the ground, you can feel your body. If you eat some food, you can taste it and the colors are very strong. And when you wake up, you feel like you've actually been somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I was actually, I feel like a real experience in another place. Mm -hmm. So that's a vivid dream. Now, a lucid dream can happen in a vivid dream or it can also just happen in a really this mundane dream. The lucidity is a little different because it's not about the vividness. It's about you recognizing that you're dreaming while you're in it. So say we're in a dream right now, but we believe it's real. Mm -hmm. So we might wake up from this dream and be, wow, that seemed real. I thought I was doing the podcast. This is a vivid dream. Now, a lucid dream would be us sitting here and being like, I look around the room and I'm like, hey, man, my room is way bigger than normal. That's a bit odd. And then I start to question my environment. Sometimes I might test my environment. So I might try and put my hand through my hand or my hand through a wall or I might move an object with my mind. And when that happens, I now know I'm 100% dreaming, but now I know that it is a dream. So that's quite a big thing. It seems very subtle, but what that is is knowing an illusion is an illusion. So quite often in our life, we mistake illusions in our head for the real world. So say we meet someone and that guy reminds us of an ex-partner and then we start to feel certain emotions and we project them onto the person and we are kind of like, that guy's a dickhead. That happens in our dreams, yeah? So we kind of dream habitually. We dream the way that we live. So we can actually really see if we're living more lucidly, as in are we more aware while we're going about our life? Are we more aware of our environment and our behaviors and whether we're projecting? Because what actually happens is this direct correlation where it starts to produce more lucid dreams. You actually find yourself questioning your environment during the day, but you also question your environment during the night. Say I'm in an experience where I feel very limited, I could fly. Now, the thing is, is that when you become lucid in dreams and you do things in your dreams from a neurological perspective, you affect the brain. You you change the way you're like neuroplasticity. So when you go and fly in a dream, you obviously don't fly in the waking world, but you have the neural correlates for what flying feels like. But it's more about what flying means in a dream, like it's this sense of freedom, of kind of like going beyond. And what happens is you kind of start to find that the things that you do in your lucid dreams bleed over into your waking world, just like your waking world bleeds into your dreams. 
and thing I do a lot in lucid dreams once I know it's a dream is I walk through objects, yeah? So I walk through walls and I walk. And what that does is it shows me that my dream body is not real, shows me that the environment's an illusion. But what I find in my waking state is that when there's an obstacle in my life, I don't engage with it how I used to. I'll actually be like, no, 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 there's there's always a way through something. Like I don't get sort of blocked it's like the the obstacles in my life are more flexible than they used to be. And I pretty much put that directly down to practices like walking through objects and things like that. So is it right to then understand it as a vivid dream is sort of a dream that, that feels real and a lucid dream is when that dream that feels real, you, you recognize that you're dreaming? Yeah, it's, it's the, the recognition. Got it. Is the, the idea that by practicing these exercises in lucid dreaming, when we recognize that we're dreaming, that then will translate into our waking life. Yes, that's I think the power of it because I kind of, for me, I don't think any practice is worth anything unless it affects the way that you live. If you practice something, it has to change the way that you are in the world. Otherwise, you kind of, I don't think your practice is really doing anything. It's a, it's a hobby. And to me, that's fine. We can all have hobbies, but because some people have lucid dreaming as a hobby, they become lucid and they, you know, they fly and have huge orgies and, (laughs) you know, like it's a fantasy thing. But how does someone even get started or, you know, begin practicing this if they feel like they're not having that opportunity in their dreams right now? Like for me, I think this sounds so awesome and interesting. And I know that I have dreams and I, remember and recognize my dreams, but I can't recall an experience, basically what you're describing right now, where I could then seize that opportunity. So how do I do that? The core things, if you want to move your normal dreaming towards lucid dreaming, is the first is you need to write your dreams down. You You need some sort of diary and you don't have to get like crazy detailed it's more we use the diary as a form of recall and we look for patterns so that we can see regular things that we dream about and then before we go to sleep we can prime ourselves that when we encounter them we'll know we're dreaming so we're kind of using them for perspective memory so when you wake up and you remember your dream you can use your phone you can write in a book but the trick is just to be very like short so say I had lucid dreams this morning and if I write them down, I was just like, I talk about when I recognize it was a dream, like I'm walking outside, I'm by the beach, the sky seems strange, I recognize I'm dreaming. Once I'm lucid, I then do this, 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 this. But if I was writing down just a non-lucid dream, I'd be like, walking in green fields, meet my brother, we go to the beach. The waves at the beach seem a bit strange, like they're made of concrete and my brother seems too tall, yeah? So right there, I've got some potential triggers I can use next time I'm dreaming. So my brother's too tall, the waves are kind of made of concrete. Now, if you're looking at dream interpretation, you would be like, what does your brother being too tall mean? What does the ocean turning to concrete mean? But we're not really coming at it from that point of view. We can use that point of view, but what we're trying to do is look for repetitive patterns. So you, like my patterns in my dreams is I'll have my mother when she's 30 and my mother's 60 now. 
or I'll have someone who's too tall in my dreams or I'll be by the coast or there'll be a famous person I've never met before. So when you keep a diary, you'll see that there's things that you dream about more often than you don't dream about and you can use those to help you become lucid. So once you've got about five of them, what you want to do is before you fall asleep, just remember those five things. Okay, if I encounter my mother and she's 30, if someone's too tall, if I'm by the coast, I will recognize I'm dreaming. So it's like you're you're telling yourself that tonight I will recognize when I meet that thing. So it's perspective memory. It's the same memory you use when you... um. And you go to the supermarket, you go past the supermarket, and you might say, oh, I remember to get some bread when I come past later on. You're using that type of memory, and it's quite a good type of memory to use. The other one on top of the diary and what are called the dream signs, which are the regular things that are happening, is what's called reality checks, but I call them mindfulness checks. So probably like 10 times during your day, just stop for 10 seconds. It's not long. You don't have to look like you're sort of standing there for a minute not doing anything. But just stop for 10 seconds and actually just pay attention to your environment. So you just look around. You notice, you know, the marks on the walls. You notice where you are, you know, and you can even test it out. You can just kind of press into the body and see if the hand goes through. You might press into a wall and see if the hand goes through. And what that does is you're creating a habit which will follow you into your sleep. So what will start to happen is you'll start doing it in your dreams. You'll actually start stopping in your dreams and looking around. And because dreams are strange, you'll pick up the strangeness of the dream. And because you pick up the strangeness of the dream and you've loaded that you would like to become lucid, those two things, it's kind of like a door opens up inside of you that makes it possible, yeah? And quite often, if you practice like this for a week, if you started keeping a diary, looking for the regular things and then priming yourself before sleep and then doing the mindfulness checks during the day, you would expect probably a lucid dream within a week, I'd expect. What would you say are the biggest applications of this? So someone begins practicing lucid dreaming practices kind of doing those superhuman things in their dreams. What have you seen as like kind of then the biggest application in real life? You talked about how important it is to be able to then apply it in real life. Yeah, I remember in the workshop too, you shared an example on more fear-based things. So fear, we often have fear in our conscious life, but tapping into or conquering fears through lucid dreaming can really help impact many aspects of your conscious life. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so fear is probably if there was like one limiting thing that we could remove in this life, which would probably dramatically improve our lives and everyone else around us would be fear. Yeah, like I think fear, there's natural fear, which is stay alive. But most of the fear that we deal with these days is more kind of it's like psychological neurosis, which really just limits us actually really fulfilling what we would like to do, you know, so we, we limit ourselves all the time. So, and these come through in dreams. So sometimes we have reoccurring nightmares 
and those are kind of extensions of our fears. Sometimes in our waking state, those fears can sort of show themselves, but a really good one for facing fear, and this, this, is, this is for people also with PTSD and things like this, is if you're having a repetitive nightmare, it's possible to overcome the nightmare when you become lucid. You can actually overcome the problem very fast. So maybe in a normal way of working in psychology, you would write down the dream, you would lie down and you would visualize yourself back in the dream and you would visualize things going more positively. And that does work. It's actually a very useful technique that's used when they do what's called exposure therapy for PTSD patients. During this time, I had a really strong, I guess I was having some very, very strong nightmares and they were nearly debilitating. So basically what I've done is I finished a book about my whole sort of journey, I suppose, through it. But Ultimately, I was having these incredible nightmares. What was happening is I'd wake up and it was like my body was dismembered and I'd be in pain and it was just every night was horrible. Yeah? And, and I, I meet people with PTSD like ambulance and police and Navy and Army who have this happen to them and it debilitates them. You know, they, they have this for their life. So what I decided to do was try and meet the nightmare lucidly so what happened is i i became lucid in the dream and everything inside me wanted to run away i I woke up and i was just like i don't want to be here you know they could feel this energy this huge perturbating cloud of dark energy i rolled over in the dream and it was like this huge cloud of just everything that made you absolutely fearful you know like everything you could think of it's kind of like the reservoir of every fear i ever had and for some reason that wanted to come out so in jungian psychology you could call that the shadow you know the shadow coming out or the another one that's called is what's called the dark night of the soul and i rolled over and as a male i stood up and i was quite angry like i hadn't been sleeping well for months and i was like you know i wanted to fight it i was like fight me come and fight me and it stopped and it was like it was just in front of me like this huge cloud of energy and i was staring at it and it was staring at me and then there was this moment where you know like when you're looking in the mirror and you look into your own eyes it was like I saw myself staring back at me. And at that moment, just like a, the most spontaneous, strong experience of compassion, it was like, it's like I expanded myself around it. And it's the two of us merged together and everything dissolved into this white light that, I mean, I don't think you can see it with your eyes. It's just that strong. And the whole dream dissolved and I woke up in bed and that was it. That was the end of it. There was no more nightmares. It was really interesting. From a, from the Jungian psychology archetype point of view, you know, that was me integrating the shadow, I suppose you could call. But it, it did change dramatically my attitude to what nightmares are. So I don't view nightmares like nightmares anymore. I just view nightmares as another type of manifestation of my own energy. So it's this thing where you have to train yourself to lucid dream. You have to have the fearlessness to become lucid and meet the nightmare. And you have to have the fearlessness to realize that when you're in a nightmare, 
the thing that you're protecting is an illusion, yeah? So when you're in a nightmare, if something's trying to attack you, the body that you have in a dream is a dream, yeah? It's not real. It's an illusion. So here you are in a dream protecting a, a dream. It makes no sense. So what you can actually do to free yourself up from your ego is you actually you don't protect yourself. So in that example, how did that affect then your conscious life? Oh, hugely, yeah. So, I mean, I was proper PTSD. Like I was disassociating during university lectures. I was using a rubber band to bring myself back so it would hit the skin and the pain would make me, I'd have panic attacks. I remember having to like lock myself on the toilet halfway through a lecture. It was really crazy. And I don't know why it happened. I use the analogy of something like a phoenix where it's just like something had to die for something to be born. People have this thing of like waking up or awakening is like a really beautiful, pretty experience. But in my personal experience, I would say actually it's probably one of the most frightening experiences of your life because the very ground that you walk on has to go. And you have to learn to exist in a totally different type of way. That's interesting. I listened to this really good TED talk and it was called Spiritual Awakening or Psychosis. And I deal with people who have schizophrenia and I deal with people who have bipolar. And it's really interesting because I think some people for sure, they have this illness but then I think other people are actually having some type of spiritual awakening, but they become incredibly afraid and then they enter into a medical system which doesn't have a box to put them in and then it labels them and gives them medications and makes them afraid of themselves and they end up essentially like disillusioned, disenfranchised, ostracized and afraid of themselves, as opposed to in more shamanic cultures, actually what happened was those people were taken under the wing of the local shaman and they were trained in their psychic capacities. So that's like a really big thing about our society is that we have a very narrow view of consciousness. We go, this is what's acceptable and anything else, you're crazy. And to me, there is mental illness. But I think from my experiences with all of this is that what we think we are and what we really are are very, very different. And our true capacity is phenomenal. Like what, what we are capable of as a species is phenomenal. But we're like children with incredible power and no wisdom, yeah? Like we, we have this ability to be something that is, I think, incredible but also we are kind of like, you can see this sort of energy happening all the time. It's like we have this incredible ability to create anything, you know. We create technology, we create the internet, we create, you know, planes and spaceships, but then we also devastate the environment and we fight with each other, you know. So it's like we have this incredible capacity, but we also haven't learned to master ourselves and i think if we finally manage to master ourselves and start acting more like a species as opposed to sort of like little individual nation states and entities i think what we would be capable of would be incredible i think personally we're operating at one percent 
You mentioned that you treat people who do have mental illness. And I'm wondering, do you ever incorporate this dream work into that treatment or do you keep it separate? And if so, what does that look like? Uh, It depends on the person. So with PTSD, I think it's really good for people to write down their dreams because it decreases the fear surrounding it. It's like a way of getting the content out of your mind and then seeing it on a piece of paper and then starting to create a little bit more of a friendship with it as opposed to a negative association. Pretty much anxiety, things like that, writing down your dreams is real. Like writing, if I said like there's one thing to do, people listen to this podcast and there's an interest. If you ever did one thing and that was just writing down your dreams, it seems like not a big deal, but over time it will change you. It just will change you because you will change your relationship to the content in your head. You'll change the relationship to the nightmares that you have and you will quite often too, you'll see that you'll have dreams which will give you some insight into what's going to happen. So say if you get a small group of people who are friends and they're all writing their dreams down and they share their dreams with each other over a period of you know weeks or months, what you start to see within the group are similarities in the dreams. Those are really interesting. There's there's a connection that occurs that's not always obvious, but in our culture we don't talk about our dreams like we talk about where we're going on holiday. Or but in Maori culture, I'm from New Zealand, uh, and a lot of Polynesian cultures, and you know uh, there's a lot of talk. American Indians talking about your dreams is normal. Yeah, you just talk about your dreams. Like oh, last night. Grandma came to visit me and grandma's been dead for 10 years. And grandma told me that next year the crops are going to be, you know, there's going to be a drought. To me, you look at like Darwinian evolution. If we have a capacity, it's there because it serves a purpose. You know, we are the organism, you know, it depends what you believe in. I guess I'm, a, I'm an evolutionist where we go from single cell to multi-cell and we, and we move up. And we're an extension of the environment like plants and things like that. And so if we have a capacity like we dream at night and we sleep, we don't have that for no reason. We have that because adaptively it has a use. And generally adaptation is about passing on your genes and it's about staying alive and it's about rearing your young so that they pass on their genes like on a very basic level. So if we dream... We dream because it has an evolutionary purpose. It's not just a meaningless thing. Otherwise, we would not dream. You know what I mean? So to me, that the fact that we dream is there for a reason. It's not like a silly little thing that happens that we don't know why. What about recurring dreams? Because sometimes like, I'll have the same dream at a specific place over and over again or about a specific person. Is there anything with that? Yep. So I'd always say if you're keeping a diary, always pay attention to reoccurring dreams because there's something that your subconscious mind is trying to communicate to you. When you start to really learn the language of dreaming, dreams are very symbolistic and they use scenarios. And the logical mind is more analytical and more calculated and likes to put things into little boxes. Now, when you're subconscious mind is communicating with you in a dream it will normally do so through certain content and it will do it repetitively especially if you're not listening 
So if you're having a repetitive dream, the first thing to do is look at what's going on in your life. And sometimes a repetitive dream will directly correlate to some event. You'll be like, oh, I get it. So that in my dream represents my anxiety about my job that I hate. Or that represents the thing I'm not saying to my partner. Or that represents I want to have a child, but I'm telling myself I don't want to have a child. But inside I do want to have, you know, so it's, like, it's interesting. It's incongruency. Also, repetitive dreams sometimes can be premonition dreams. So some people will have like a repetitive occurring dream and then they actually find themselves in that scenario in the future. So I remember this one woman was telling me a dream where she kept dreaming of this man and she could never see his face. And it would be, she could feel his energy and she kept seeing him and they were at the beach. And I said, oh, have you been to that beach before? And she's like, no. She said, have you met this man before? And she says, no. And then I think like three years later, she sees his face in the dream finally. Then she meets the man a few weeks later. And she's like, this is the same man. And they're at the beach. And it's like, it's like her dream comes to fruition. And she has a relationship with him. And it was actually like, it was like quite a hard relationship, like very strong relationship, like very challenging. But it's like this man had been showing up in her dreams for a long time. So it's really interesting. And then she meets the man. Then she has the relationship. So it starts to bring into really interesting things surrounding when you're in dreams, I think it's possible to access time in a different way. Yeah. So we experience time flowing from the past to the present to the future. And if you look at sort of things surrounding, I guess, like quantum field theory and things like that, time is kind of more like there's all the time out there. So past, present and future are all kind of there. And so it seems to be when we dream, we seem to have better access to that whole big thing that time is, meaning that the potential future, like right now we're having a conversation and that's setting down parameters for a potential future. It's kind of like potential futures happen at the moment we're doing something. So it's kind of like we're kind of creating potential futures but then also it seems to be in dreams we have access to what those potential futures could be because it's kind of like it's kind of like a probability there's always going to be a probability of what's more likely to happen so it might have been more probable that we were going to have another conversation after the workshop and that probability has played out but there was also a small probability that we wouldn't and so what ends up being the future is normally the most probable outcome. So I don't think the future is set. I actually think that we kind of have all these potential little futures, but there's probabilities. It's like a probability wave, like, you know, 70% this, 10% that, 5% that, 1% that, half a percent that, and then you kind of get everything come together. But all of them are possible at that moment. And then based upon our habits and our beliefs, you know, generally one future tends to be the future. But I think for the dreaming mind and the subconscious, it seems to have access from what I've experienced to those potentials before they've happened. And it seems to be able to communicate stuff about those potentials for some reason. Yeah, that's, I was curious about that as well, like how premonitions work. And I guess you just described it because in your dreams, there's no sense of time. So it could have potentially happened already is that because I have the premonition dreams a lot about mostly specific people that I'm very connected to and then 
couple of days later, it'll actually play out in some way or another. So I just wonder if it's already happened. I think it's the most probable outcome based upon what's happening in that moment. And then you're able to access that because you're aware. So the thing is, is that this is why we're talking about becoming aware of your dreams, writing down your dreams. If you had no dream awareness, you didn't write anything down, you weren't interested in your dreams, then you wouldn't have known you had a dream about what you dreamed. And you wouldn't know, you might have a deja vu moment, maybe like, oh, I've been here before, but I don't know where. Probably it wasn't a dream. I think deja vu quite often, if you have really good dream practice, you'll probably find that a lot of your deja vu moments have happened in a dream. And then you'll be in the experience and you'll be like, oh, I don't know why I got a deja vu. Yeah, I really resonate with that school of thought. And I think it makes so much sense. And I had heard it actually talked about recently in the context of, you know, the future is not some sort of surprise thing that we are going, that is, you know, this mystery. And like I said, will surprise us. Instead, the future is just a manifestation of exactly what you're doing right now. So whatever path you're putting yourself on right now, that's going to be your future and not some sort of surprise circumstance. So I think that really relates to what you were just talking about with how we may think that a premonition is sort of coming from elsewhere, but it's really coming from the place that we have set ourselves up on. Yes, and this this is the thing is so that's that's a lot more empowering position to be in, yeah. So if you're if you're in the like, oh man, the, I'll let the universe decide, yeah. And I'm 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 pretty opposite. I was like, no, 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 I won't let the universe decide. If I'm manifesting my experience through my conscious mind and unconscious mind, then essentially I, I drive this car. You know, most people go around in life thinking they drive their car, but it's more like they're in a self-driving car with the illusion that they're driving, yeah? So most people are like going along in life and they're sitting there with their hand on the steering wheel, but what's really happening is their subconscious mind is driving the car and they're kind of on autopilot. And they don't realize that they can, like you said, at that moment, you have the potential to completely change the direction of your life. You actually, all the time, like people don't realize, like you constantly have the opportunity to completely change the direction of your life. If you're in a situation that you don't like, whether you accept it or not, you have created the parameters that have put you in the situation that you hate. So the thing is, is, is of course there'll be third parties. There'll be people who will play that out with you. So say you put yourself in a situation in a negative relationship people will come and play that out with you because you put yourself in the position where someone who would be attracted to that was probably, you know, it's like if you understand that at this moment you can completely dictate the future through your actions, then your actions now become incredibly important. It's like if you stop living on autopilot and start living consciously and start making choices to move yourself towards the type of experience that you want to have, If you consistently do that and overcome obstacles which will come up because there's always obstacles in life, your life will be dramatically different. I think we overestimate what we can do in a short period of time and we underestimate what we can do in a long... Like if you give yourself five years and you really believe in yourself, I think you could not fathom what could be done. You would look back in five years and be like, are you kidding me? Like... Even the last six months of my life have been like really intense. I quit nursing as a as a career. I wrote three kids' books. I wrote an adult 
book that I've just finished now is I put it on Amazon and stuff for lucid dreaming, like an ebook, like about my journey. You know, I learned to make jewelry. I learned to surf. And it's been intense. Like the last six months, everyone's like, oh, life's going so quick. And I'm like, no, God, it's not. One other thing I thought was interesting on the writing the dreams down tactic is I think that it's interesting what you shared around the link to the subconscious as well. I had started that practice more aligned to accessing sort of what was going on in my subconscious and intuition and accessing intuition because I'd also heard that as a recommendation. And what was surprising to me were the people that were popping up in my dream were people who had some significance in my life, but I never really thought about. And these sort of very specific kind of random people I was dreaming about almost every night. And so I thought that was really interesting. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, what you can do too is this is this is probably a good thing for you to set a goal for. So you you have the interest to become lucid now in your dreams. So you're remembering your dreams, you're writing your dreams. What you can actually do is you can directly ask what the meaning of those dreams are if you become lucid. You don't have to try and decipher the meaning after the dream. You can actually decipher the meaning of the dream in real time while you're in the dream. I'm curious, when you ask a question like that in a lucid state, do you think that you are tapping into sort of another kind of more spiritual realm or dimension, or is it that you're really asking your subconscious self? And I guess the Tibetan Buddhist perspective, you're you're tapping into wisdom, and wisdom is You've got your own innate wisdom. I mean, essentially, I I think that I always see in dreams that whatever I'm tapping into is some aspect of myself. It's not like if I have a dream and some being comes into my dream and teaches me, which I've had. I've had teachings in my dreams on different things. I look at it as some part of my nature that's engaging with me, but also You've got to let go of the sense of what you are. So we go, you know, me as being quite small. When I think you ask these questions in dreams, it's like you're connecting to you, but you're connecting to you on a a lot more panoramic sort of level. I feel like we're only tapping into a certain percentage of ourselves. There's so much more and we can access that through our dream state. And I'm definitely going to ask myself, to like tell me what these recurring dreams that I have mean. I, I, I think that's a really good way because I don't know really what they are. So just asking myself before I go to bed. I know that we're running low on time. So we have one question that we like yeah, to yeah. ask all of our guests. What in your life has been your greatest teacher? Whoa, God, that's a good one. There's two sides to it, but they're not two sides to it. They're both the same thing. So one is life has been my greatest teacher. If you want to learn about yourself, start paying attention to life and start paying attention to what pisses you off and you're going to learn a heck of a lot about yourself, yeah? like So we always go around like looking for a guru to teach us and I think there are some really proper teachers out there but like anything, there's also a lot of bogus teachers out there. But I actually think... Life is trying to wake you up, man. Like I think life is always trying to wake you up. I think life takes you and shakes you when you get too lazy. It shakes you when you keep doing the same boring thing you don't want to do. Life kind of comes along and it's always seeming to put you in situations that either force you to evolve or force you to retract. 
And so if you start looking at your life of like, oh, I'm in a I'm in a situation that's uncomfortable where I could evolve or I could contract. And if you start looking at life as your teacher, like your experiences in your life, the people that you meet, the environments you find yourself in, and you stop judging them, I think you're actually going to find that life is trying to actually teach you something. Like life is like it's like Ram Dass's teacher had a really interesting one, which was, you know, like you're at university, so you may as well take the curriculum. You know, he was kind of like you're here and you're at university. So how about taking the curriculum instead of like trying to not take the curriculum? So you kind of here and you are having an experience. So you may as well take the curriculum and evolve in some way, shape or form. And then I see dreams as an extension of life. So again, my biggest teacher would be the dream. So how can people get in contact with you? Ah, uh, what have I got? I'm trying to be a bit better with this sort of stuff. So I, I have a website. So that's benmckinnonyoga.com. So you can go on there and I try to have all my workshops that I'll be doing wherever I am in the world doing them. Uh, also, if I'm teaching on yoga teacher trainings, which ones they'll be at. I've also got links to little videos on YouTube and little podcasts on SoundCloud and Spotify where I talk about how to develop a lucid dreaming practice. I've got links to the kids' books and the dream book, which I wrote on Ben McKinnon Yoga, and I think that links to Amazon and Etsy. That's probably the easiest. If you just go to benmckinnonyoga.com, it'll link you to Instagram and that. I'm just trying to have so people can just go there and then at least acts like a little bit of hub where people can go off and they might find some more interesting stuff. There's plenty of good teachers as well on Dream and Lucid Dreaming. Charlie Morley's really good. Tenzin Wagnell's really good. Stephen LeBurge, Robert Wagner. There are some pretty good Lucid Dream teachers out there now for quite a niche subject. So there's, there's plenty of good material. Alan Wallace is a really good one as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was so interesting and mind-blowing. I feel like I want to have another recurring dream so I can figure out what it means. I say to people, set the intent and keep going. The trick is people set the intent for a few days and it doesn't happen and they give up. You got to set the intent, keep going, achieve it in the dream and then move on to the next goal. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.